This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God was trying to teach them two important things. One was hygiene. There were actually some animals that were just not healthy for you to eat. We've kind of understood more about things like trichinosis for undercooked pork and all those kind of things. So some of it was a hygienic, helpful thing for us to not get sick. But the bigger picture was God was trying to teach the people the difference between clean and unclean because he wanted them to understand things about holiness and his character and that there are things in life that are clean and unclean and that he is a holy God and he calls us to a holy life. Why are so many of the rules and rituals found throughout the Old Testament so abstract and specific? Why does it matter what kind of meat we eat or how we wash our hands? If it's all about faith, why would God have given so many laws regarding diet, hygiene, and lifestyle? As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, these laws were focused on protecting and providing for His beloved creation. And they were designed to highlight our desperate need for God's grace and intervention. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Keep reading with me. It says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Cornelius did. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So again, just to orient ourselves, here he is living to the north in Caesarea. He's going to send two of his servants and a devout soldier, part of of his uh, century, down to Joppa, the 30 miles, because why? This angel has appeared to Cornelius, and, and Cornelius sees this angel, and this angel speaks to him and says, what you've been doing has not gone unnoticed by God. Now, please note, he is a devout man. He's God-fearing. He gives generously. He prays regularly. He is not a believer yet in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of decent, devout, religious people who are not believers in Jesus. Okay, Cornelius is an example of a million people who go to church regularly, they're devout, they're God-fearing, they might even pray a lot. But we're going to see in a moment that nobody has helped Cornelius connect the dots of what it means to have a personal relationship with God and what it means to be saved. Because he doesn't understand yet the truth of Jesus and how the truth of Jesus relates to that relationship with, 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 with God. So he's devout, he's God-fearing, he prays a lot, and he gives a lot. That will not get someone into heaven. One of the biggest deceptions that has penetrated the hearts and minds of a lot of good, honest, decent people 
is that if they just remain good, honest, decent people, they'll get to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even there in Ephesians 2, 8, it tells us that even the ability to believe by faith is a gift from God, but that it has to be faith exercised in response to the grace of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us. We put our faith in his finished work. It is not by human effort that we gain entrance into heaven or have sins forgiven. It is only by what Christ has done for us, and we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have a, 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 a real heart for people who are good, God-fearing, devout, praying people. But you and I need to help them understand that being good is not good enough. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. You cannot gain entrance into heaven by being a good, decent, God-fearing, praying person. It doesn't work that way. Now, what I love about this story is that God so much loves this particular individual man. Here he is, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, that God is going to send an angel to speak to him. And God is going to pursue him and go after him. Because it isn't as if the good things that people do go unnoticed. God noticed. And the angel said so. But those good things aren't enough. And so God is going to now bring into Cornelius' life the Apostle Peter, who's going to share with him the truth of who Jesus is. And so the angel announces this to Cornelius and says, hey, there's a guy whose name is Peter, and he's staying at a house in Joppa, and he even gives him the address, a guy whose name is Simon the Tanner. His house is by the sea. Send men to go get Simon and bring him back. And so Cornelius does that. This has got to be, obviously, the best day of his life. He got up like any other morning, just having a little bit of toast and coffee there on the coast of the Mediterranean, just taking in the morning Mediterranean breeze. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to him, and his life is never going to be the same. Yours wouldn't be either. And I love the way that it says, and he just stared at the angel. And he was afraid. You don't become a centurion in the Roman army. You don't become an officer in the Roman army and, you know, be a wimp. This guy is a man's man. He's a soldier. He's a tough guy. And he's afraid. And I only point that out because sometimes when people talk about encounters with angels, like it happens every day, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You should be afraid. If, if an angel of the Lord appears to you, this should be such an awesome sight to behold that you should be trembling in your sandals. And that's what Cornelius was doing here. But in response, he sends two servants and one of his trusted soldiers. You guys go down to Joppa. Tells him the whole story. I wonder if they believed him. You just saw what? Yeah, I know. You're not going to believe it. I just saw an angel. It's an incredible thing. It's going to be the best day of my life, probably yours too. You need to go down to Joppa, 30 miles guy by the name of Simon. He's staying in another guy's house by the name of Simon. Don't get confused. He's the tanner guy, 75 feet outside of town. You'll be able to find him. And off they go. Now, notice what God is doing. Look at, look at verse 9. What God is doing on Peter's end of things. He's going to prepare Simon Peter as well for this whole encounter. Verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Okay, it's a following day. It takes two days. They're going to go 30 miles. It's, it takes two days. It says, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So now the story is in Joppa. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
Well, I can relate to that, can't you? I mean, I've been real hungry and feel like I fell into a trance, but this is obviously more than low blood sugar, okay? But it's, you know, while he's, while he's you know, praying and he's hungry, he's waiting for the meal to be prepared here, he, he falls into a trance. What exactly does that mean? I have, I have no idea, honestly. It, but he's going to have a, a, an incredible encounter here with the Lord. So this is a dream slash vision. How much of it is he conscious? How much is this, you know, in dreamland? I don't know, but it's from the Lord. And it tells us this in verse 11, that he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, remember, look, folks, this is the guy who said to Jesus, I will never disown you. I will never deny you. So I'm not sure if never really means never. You know, I wonder if he has snuck a pork rib. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's had pulled pork barbecue sandwich. Maybe not. But he says never. Now, what I like about this and what I find a little humorous and somewhat hypocritical, all right, you know these people who pride themselves in stuff they've never done, but yet they've done other stuff that is even more terrible, you know? It's, it's like, you know, somebody's like, I've never let alcohol touch my lips. Yeah, but you've slept around all your life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, is, is, that, is that a little inconsistent? And people begin to, I've never done this, I've never done that. Yeah, but you did this. So, you know, why, why, why are you going around saying what you haven't done? Because you're just as guilty as the rest of us. So, you know, hold your tongue. But this is where Peter's, Peter's this kind of guy, you know, he just makes bold promises and doesn't always deliver. You know, maybe, maybe this is true. I don't know. But, it, but at least, here's the hypocrisy. He's like, I've never, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But check it out. Where is he? Yeah, he's at a house of a guy who deals with dead animals. So he's like, I've never had anything unclean. But by the way, I'm staying at a house of a guy who's unclean. So this is, this is you know, Peter for you, all right? And, uh, and what is the deal here? The deal is that in this vision come all these kind of animals, four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. It, it isn't descriptive, but it is in Peter's response because when he takes pride in saying, because the Lord says to him, you see this that's being brought down to you from this sheet, all right, get up and eat. And he goes, I, I've never eaten anything unclean, which tells us that, that the animals within the sheet are unclean animals because Peter's offended in this vision that he's being asked to eat something that is not kosher. Now, remember, he's a Jew, and he, and he wants to abide by the letter of the law, and the letter of the law is that there were some foods that were unclean. And I'm just going to read to you out of Deuteronomy 14. We don't know exactly what the list of the animals were, but I'm going I'm to give you an idea of what was clean and unclean according to the Old Testament law. This is Deuteronomy 14. Just listen to it. Verse 3. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof divided in two and that chews the cud. Had to be both. However, of those that chew the cud that have a split hoof completely divided, you may not eat the camel. 
Like, who'd want to, you know? By the way, don't smoke camels either. But anyway, that's another story. Don't eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a split hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat, for it is unclean. Crab, shrimp, hold on. Don't get depressed, I got good news coming, hold on. (laughs) Verse 11, you may eat any clean bird, but these you may not eat. So maybe some of these were in the sheet, in addition to the camel and the rabbit. So these you may not eat, the eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite. You know, mainly because there's sticks and strings with that. But any, any kind of falcon. Come on, it's midweek. I'm just trying to lighten up the mood. Any kind of raven. Listen up, Baltimore. Any kind of raven. All unclean. The horned owl, the screech owl, the gull. Any kind of hawk. The little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork. And any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that swarm are unclean to you. Do not eat them, but any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Check this out. Do not eat anything you find already dead. Did we need to be told that? What a sight to see somebody chewing on some roadkill. That would be horrible. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it. I got some roadkill for you. Pull up a chair. Or you, we're not going to have any, but it's for you. Or you may sell it to a foreigner, but you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, you know, all that seems kind of strange. Why would God outline clean and unclean animals like that in Deuteronomy before we get back to, to, to here in our story? And the answer is because in Old Testament times, God was trying to teach them two important things. One was hygiene. There were actually some animals that were just not healthy for you to eat. We've kind of understood more about things like trichinosis for undercooked pork and all those kind of things. So some of it was a hygienic, helpful thing for us to not get sick. But the bigger picture was God was trying to teach the people the difference between clean and unclean because he wanted them to understand things about holiness and his character and that there are things in life that are clean and unclean and that he is a holy God and he calls us to a holy life. And so he outlines under the old covenant certain things that are clean and unclean because he was teaching the people, here's a list of rules so you understand what is right and wrong, holy and unholy, clean and unclean. And so they had to follow that regiment to remind themselves that God is a holy God, and they had to follow certain rules in order to please that holy God. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus Christ dies on a cross for us. Now our holiness is gained, our righteousness through faith in him and his finished work. It doesn't come because we obey a system of rules. So the dietary commandments of the Old Testament have been done away with. Now, how do we know the dietary commandments of the Old Testament have been done away with? Because Jesus said so. In Mark chapter 7, I'll just read to you. 
verses 18 and 19, there's this whole conversation Jesus has about what makes a person clean and unclean. And at the end, he, he says this. He goes, are you so dull? He, he said to, to those who were listening to him. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And then Mark 7 adds in, in verse 19, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So enjoy the pulled pork barbecue, shrimp, and crab. It's all good, folks. Put it back on the barbie. You know what I'm saying to you? But in the Old Testament days, those things were considered unclean. Jesus comes along and says, listen, cleanliness is an issue of the heart. And the way you get your heart right is you come into relationship with me, Jesus was insinuating there, inferring. And so the old covenant was rules and regulations. That's how I'm clean. That's how I'm right. That's how I'm holy. You come into relationship with Jesus, new covenant. He says, through me is how you are made holy and righteous by faith in what I've done for you. And therefore, the dietary system is not in play anymore. So you're you're free to eat. Now, those who don't accept Jesus, you know, Jews today who don't accept Jesus as Messiah, they still hold very much to the dietary laws. I remember my very first trip to Israel, and after about four days, I just didn't put two and two together. And they have great, you know, buffets at every place we go. But I just remember craving one morning, where's the bacon? And I'm not even a bacon eater, particularly. But, you know, when you have a big buffet, you're looking at everything that's there, and then some of the things that are missing stand out to you. I'm like, where is the bacon? That's right. I'm in Israel. And so pork is still considered unclean. But Jesus actually makes it clean by what he says there in Mark chapter 7. But this is Peter. Peter is at a place where the rules and regulations are still something that he is painfully aware of, even though he's a believer in Jesus. And the rules and regulations as it relates to food, God is going to use to translate into Peter's rules and regulations concerning people. Because you see, in these days, to a Jew, a Gentile was an unclean person. To a Jew, a Gentile was considered unholy. You don't touch a Gentile, you don't go near a Gentile, you certainly don't go in a Gentile's house. And God is going to stretch his understanding of humanity. And Peter's going to come to an awareness, and this is important for all of us to understand. Jesus Christ died for all, not just for people who look like you. Jesus died for all. The Bible says in Revelation 5, 9, when when John was talking about Jesus as our sacrifice, he says, you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. But Peter doesn't yet understand this. So God gives him this vision of the sheet that is being lowered down with all kinds of unclean animal. And the Lord says, get up and go ahead and eat. And Peter's like, no, never. I'll never eat anything unclean like this. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. I just wonder if that's because this is Peter, remember? Everything is three times, right? How many times did you deny me? Three times. How many times do you love me? Say it, three times. That's the end of John chapter 21. So here, three times, the Lord is dropping this. Do you get it, Pete? Here, here's a third time. Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you? 
And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, like I don't quite understand all this, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon Peter's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, pause for a moment. You're on the roof. You're really hungry. You've had this whole transvision thing. You got the sheet coming down, unclean animals. You're not quite sure what the whole thing means. But now the Spirit of the Lord says, hey, there's three guys who are looking for you. I guarantee you he thought they were Jews. Guarantee you. He's not understanding the whole dynamic of the vision yet. And he's thinking, oh, the Lord's brought some visitors. Let's go down and see who they are. And Peter went down, verse 21, and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. What? (laughs) He is a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Wow. That's another taboo that he's breaking here. Not only is he staying at Simon the Tanner's house, they're both Jews, but now he's inviting these Gentiles into a Jewish home. So he's growing here. He's definitely growing here, and he's realizing, okay, got the vision thing. It's all starting to make sense now. Now, what I also love about this, and I mentioned this last week, when God does something in a somewhat prophetic way, please, please note that he is operating at both ends of this story. Okay, the angel appears in a vision to Cornelius and says to Cornelius, there's a guy whose name is Simon Peter. You need to send some messengers and go get him. He's at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea in Joppa. While at the same time, in Joppa, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, go downstairs, there's three men who are, going, who are, are here to see you, get up. And don't hesitate to go with them. And so please note how God works at both ends. Someone who says something to you with a word from the Lord should only be confirmation, never direction. Just confirmation, but not direction. You need to get your direction directly from the Lord. And then God can bring people into your life who will say things that confirm what God has already said to you. And that is what we see here. So Peter's heart is already prepared, and he goes without haste, invited the men in first to be his guests. And then it says the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Now, these are going to be fellow Jews who are curious about what's going on here. Peter's like, well, I got to go go to um, Caesarea. I'm going with these three Gentile guys because the Lord told me I need to go with them. And they're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. We're going to go with you. So, so some Jews go with them. And it says in verse 24, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I mean, he's got, he's got a whole party here. He, he sent out e-invite e invitations here. He all these friends here, they've come to his house. And as Peter entered the house... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. By the way, this is another taboo because he's going into the home of a Gentile. 
The book of Acts is awe-inspiring as you see the Christian church take off. You see these frightened disciples who had scattered, rallied together, and then spread out beyond their borders. It takes great faith to do what these believers did, just like it takes great faith to spread the word today. How are you engaging with this series so far? Do you have any questions or concerns? If so, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd be happy to hear your prayer requests, too. Are you living in or visiting the Leesburg, Virginia area? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find our service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and links to download our mobile app. Just look under the Teachings tab. Once again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of Acts that we hope inspire you. We look forward to you joining us again here on Cornerstone Connection. You know